0: Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Janine.
1: I'm Lauren, and we are very excited to have Damali Ayo here with us today. Damali is a storyteller and author who engages audiences to think, feel, and heal through difficult community and personal challenges ranging from race, gender, sexual assault, and sexual orientation to spirituality, chronic illness, the creative process, healing, music, and even trash. She is the author of two books, How to Rent a Negro and Obamastan which are playful yet bitingly satirical examinations of race relations. Damali is also a frequent contributor on NPR. Welcome to the show, Damali.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Every single story has a beginning, and so we would kind of like to hear where your story started. I mean, you were once in our shoes here as a college student. How did you kind of enter into pursuing creative expression as a means of social commentary or...
2: So I was always a creative kid. Um, I grew up in a kind of weird, a really, no, not kind of weird, I grew up in a really weird family. Okay. Um, but it was the kind of family that was weird on the inside and looked normal on the outside, you know, those types of families. And so I was always um, uh, finding ways to make sense out of things that didn't make sense. And part of that was creating my own little worlds and creating art. And I was also incredibly curious. Like that was, I think, my most annoying quality to my mother. She got really tired of my being such a curious person. But uh, and and what my parents did eventually is they bought me a set of encyclopedias, so I could just like suck up every all the knowledge I I wanted. And so one of the things I remember really early on is reading about the White House in the encyclopedia and all the cool different rooms, that had all these different themes, and so I built this like 3D model of the White House out of cardboard, and I got all these little furniture stuff. So it's always like a constant learner, so learning, 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 and then trying to find ways to bring what's in my head out into the world. Um, So there's that, and then also I just grew up with a lot of cognitive dissonance, and a lot of things that didn't make sense, and so art has a way of expressing things that words don't, so I think that's how
1: yeah yeah and did you ever um did you do any like formal education in art while you were at brown or anything like that or is it something that really just kind of came to you through experience
0: yeah I
2: was self-taught as an artist and I really advocate that when I talk to young artists I always tell them don't go to school for art go to school so you can learn about the world so you have stuff to make art about um and then when I was I was showing in galleries when I was in Portland and um Somebody who was newly hired at uh, Portland State University to teach art invited me to come get my MFA So I do have my MFA in studio art, but I arrived there already as like a showing self-taught artist
0: Very cool. Wow. You know? So throughout your life, you've kind of done a bunch of different things. You've written books You've done visual art you've done performances. What's your favorite medium of art to work with and how has that changed throughout your life? Um
2: you know, it just changes all the time. My favorite medium is concept, <laughs> you know? I remember the day I, I said out loud in a group of artists, I'm a conceptual artist. And I was at a brown bag luncheon and the, the curator of the Contemporary Arts Center was there and she nodded really big. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I found it, I get it. I get what I do. And, um, and so I love ideas. And so that's why I work in so many different physical medium. Um. So if if the idea I'm needing to get across requires performance, then I do performance. If the idea I'm curious about exploring needs film, then I do film. Um, if, you know, so it really is driven by the ideas. Concepts really blow my mind. Like something that really gets me to see the world in a different way or gets me to even see something that's uh, like not a fresh idea, but, but creates it in a fresh way. I really, I just love that stuff. And so when I get to make that kind of stuff, I feel really lucky.
1: Absolutely. And have you ever explored, just out of curiosity, have you ever explored using multiple types of medium to express the same idea or the same concept and seeing kind of what different messages get sent through the use of different medium?
2: Yeah, I think in some of the, like, social change topics that I've worked on, I've certainly, you know, needed to approach them from lots of different angles. So, um, you know, I've done, um, in my work about, you know, race and how we treat each other as people. I've used anywhere from like writing books to making audio works to doing visual arts, to doing visual arts that you can touch, to doing performance on the street. Yeah. So there's
0: there's there's everything has gone into to those things, yeah. So one of my favorite ways to understand art is, I've heard it described as it's the bridge when language fails. Hmm. Do you think that your art has bridged that gap to understanding the concepts in your head? Or sometimes do you think that... That's not being understood by your audiences.
2: I mean, look, if you get understood, you're you're really lucky or you're being really obvious. Right. So I want people to have to work a little to get what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I feel like art, my motto has always been art should make you think and feel. It doesn't have to match your couch so um if my art is helping people think and feel even if it's challenging them even if they're confused that's great does it bridge you know the gap where language fails i absolutely think so you know language has been an interesting part of my art i spent quite i i'm very language oriented i'm very visual but i'm also really word oriented um and so in some of my early art i had a lot of words And then I went through this phase where I was literally, like I was obsessed with taking slices of newspaper and putting them in my art and crossing out all the words. So there was a time when I was really trying to force myself not to use language and just to try to find the visual connection and impact. But language has always been a big part of what I do, actually. I'm a sucker for words.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) Um, So I I want to talk to to you a little bit more about this concept of storytelling because I feel like it's kind of... A concept and a form of communication that gets kind of lost in modern day, at Aww. least in my society. Like not my society, but you know the you know here at CMC, I rarely hear people place a lot of emphasis on telling a really great story. People constantly make fun of me for being a terrible storyteller, and so I was wondering, kind of, what value you see that storytelling can give that you can't really get in other medium.
2: It's a great question. Um... The beauty of storytelling, if you if you tell a good story, which you know, maybe one in seven <laughs> <It's> is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it a while. You know, I've been telling stories on stage for years and years and years and it took a long time for them to get good, you know. You know where the peaks and valleys are, you know where the laughs are, you know where the you know it takes a while to develop a good story.
0: Yeah.
2: Um uh but if you tell a good story, people want to repeat it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Especially if, if it's funny. <laughs> and so that's the magic of storytelling. Like it's it's the original viral everything for you know, generations of humanity. Yeah. And so, um, so, there are like high context people and low context people. And the low context people will say like, at a ticket I ran a red light. And the high context people would be like, so I got up in the morning, and so then I had to run this red light, and, this and, that, and then I'm late to work. You know, and I'm, I am a high context person. <laughs> from a, what, how point, you get to point B from point A. When yeah. I was a kid, we would sit at the dinner table. At some point, without fail, I would say, how did we get here? And I would want to trace it all the way back to the beginning. So how, I would see how all the stories kind of related and how they went and how we ended up at this other place. And I was really intrigued by that. Um, and so that's, I think, why I love storytelling. But I also think that um, perspective is really interesting. So like, there's a piece on my website now called Underscore. And it's a video where the same physical actions happen. So it's this one scene. It's one minute long and basically I walk into my door of my my cottage where I live I take down this plant from the window and I I sew a curtain for the window and then I hang the curtain I put the plant back up and I raise the blind I look out the window it's the same scene but I've taken 43 different pieces of music and put it under that same scene so the same video loop happens 43 times but the music is different And so basically the narrative changes based on the the mood or the lyric or the story behind the music yeah and so i think storytelling is really cool because everybody's going to have a different perspective and because it can it can be so subjective it can be so personal and you know that same story i tell on day a on you know the next day might be really different to me for different reasons and i I feel like it's an honest form of communication that way. You know, we try to behave like people's opinions and all these facts and all this data that we throw all over the internet, most of which is baloney. Um, We act like it's totally objective when really our whole world is so completely subjective. And I think it's important to acknowledge that.
1: Absolutely. And another really interesting thing about storytelling, I think, is it's a really great way of um, connecting with other human beings because you're sharing, you know piece of your life something personal but still would be of interest to them and it kind of is a very good way of interconnecting
2: no it's true beings. and I think for most people's stories there's something in it that they that they trigger something in us like oh yeah. I went through that too or I went through something similar you know and so and it makes you human you know yeah. I think we really need
0: our humanity back
1: creates a shared humanity yeah absolutely yeah yeah definitely
0: So while we have you here, we wanted to ask about your name on your website. It's spelled in lowercase letters. Is there any significance behind that? People always ask me that. It's nothing deep.
2: (laughs) Okay. I just think I'm so visual. It just looks better to me that way. I think that it's odd that we insist on capitalizing our own names, Mm -hmm. particularly when they're names that other people assign us. I mean, I think we put way too much emphasis on this as our primary identity. I'm always very concerned when we start sentences with I am, you know, And so this is just an indicator, a label that somebody else gave me that I've, you know, had to grow into. And so I I guess I just, it's a way of kind of setting it apart from, um, I don't know. It just makes it something other than me, I suppose. But I also just think it looks prettier. (laughs) Those big, harsh capital letters don't really resonate with me. True. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And just kind of taking that point and building off of it, um... Do you, since you don't necessarily love kind of using names as primary forms of identification and things like that, are there any specific tactics that you try to use in your day-to-day life to really establish your identity and kind of vocalize, per se, your identity, or anything conscious that you use, or do you feel like it's mostly just subconscious?
2: Well, I think that's a good question. I mean, there are little things. I think that... um it's as much as how I identify myself as how I think about identifying others. I think we live in a world now where we've got to let go of the, so many just basic assumptions with which we interact with people right away. Like, people's gender identity that we can't make assumptions about. Um, how people want to be referred to. Um, it's funny, I started lowercase my name a gajillion years ago and now people do it a lot, you know? Uh-huh. It's kind of like, um, you know, I dropped my, my family last name 20 years ago and so I've been going by my first and middle name for a really long time, legally. And, um, and now everybody with their Facebook pages has their like, first and middle name. It's like very common. So it's like, okay, so these ways of self-identifying. But I guess it's just important of remembering that there's always something more than the surface. And when I am really diligent about those kinds of things, I like to just dig a little deeper. And the thing that occurs to me is like I went through this phase once when um, instead of telling people I love them, Like, instead of just using that very easy phrase, I love you, I would really try to be very specific about what it was about the person I was appreciating at that specific moment that made me want to say I love you. Um, which I think was very annoying to my friends, but, um,
1: <laughs> but powerful in sentiment, nonetheless. Yes.
2: I mean, as an artist, you do things that they should really annoy your friends. You know, like there was a time I decided I needed to tape record all my phone conversations, and my friends were like, I'm not calling you.
1: <laughs>
2: like, but I need material. You know? <laughs> so, so that's just, you know, part of the work. You know, people's, people's, people end up in your work, and, and that's the risk you take when you're close to somebody who's creative. And you just have to suck it up and deal with it. But I think that's a good question, you know, how do we really deepen the way we identify ourselves and each other, and I think that's, that's key. We have to look beyond what we think we see and and see what we do see.
1: Yeah, especially because in today's society, you know, identity is so multifaceted.
0: It is. Particularly
1: with, you know, globalization and immigration and things like that, you know, you aren't just a Californian, you're, you know, a Hispanic Californian who grew up in Texas and you know right. you're a musician and it's, it's a really complex identity and I feel like you have a great point you know names, yeah, something like I mean, that I think really. we need
2: to look at those complications because we do tend to reduce people to something very simple and I just think we're smarter than that as people we can we can have an understanding of people that's complicated you yeah. know and it's I'm glad to hear you say that because it gives me hope because, you know, I feel like we can we've just oversimplified our whole experience. It's just it's people suffer under those conditions, you know, when you only get to be one specific thing. Um so that's great. See, this is why I love millennials. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for your generation. <laughs> like oh my goodness. I mean I'm it sounds so cliche, but like I'm so like such a millennial convert, you know, because like <laughs> Like there's this way of seeing things that's so completely different. Your values are like the values I've been waiting for for a long time. You know, like, you know, like this idea of complication and identity, be able to see things multifaceted, not taking things for um, assumptions, you know, caring about being happy. That's yes. new. That's nice. You know, so like these types thing. of things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, generations and generations, you know, have been told that they didn't have a right. To happiness, that happiness was a self-indulgent value, and you all have developed a different sense of that.
1: And I really appreciate it. Well, we're glad we can make you proud. <laughs> <laughs> we made
2: a world I want to like hang out in now. I guess. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, okay. So we just we like to kind of wrap up every interview by asking a question related to success, and um, I think it'll be interesting to kind of get your take on it because it can be a very, you know stereotypical concept. But um, we like to ask you, what's your personal definition of success and kind of what advice you could give to college students, millennials, kind of whomever it may be, as to how they can achieve that particular form of success?
2: That's great. This is a word I've been thinking about a lot lately. So I don't know if I have an answer as much as I have like a million ideas because I'm still figuring out for myself. (laughs) Um, You know, I think um, so much of my life was defined by other people. I think that's a, 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 you know, why I'm sensitive to like the notion of a name being assigned to me. Um, whether that's because of decisions that were made for me by my family about what I was good for or good at, um, or decisions made by the environment and the cultures and the institutions in which I grew up at that saw me and said, well, you belong over here or you belong over there. Um, And so, to me, success has so much to do with your own terms. And it's the only way you can have success is to know what you want and achieve what you want. Because if you keep trying to achieve what other people expect of you, to me that you're just going to continue to fail because you won't, you can't have happiness that way. Yeah. You know? Um, And so, there's, to me, there's this kind of like, like a synchronicity, like a being in sync that success is to me. It's not so much a vertical thing as it is a harmonious thing. Mm -hmm. And so that, like, for my own sexist, when all the pieces come together and I'm saying I am doing and being the person I believe I should be and doing the things I believe I should do, it's like this actual, like, physical manifestation of what my inner understanding of who I am is. And if I can do that, I feel like that's success. And um, and it's tough in this world because we live right now, because of technology, we live in a highly comparative world. And so people, it's everything's such a competition just to be whatever. Why aren't you like this? Why aren't you like that? Well, that person's doing this. Well, that's like their own path in their own terms. You can't you know, presume that your, your journey is going to be the same as, you know, any other person's, But, um, but sadly, I think we can get very easily into, into those roads. And I said to somebody just the other day, she was like, um, we were talking about, you know, somebody in my field, and they're like, oh, did you see this video, that video, that video? And I said, you know what, I can only watch so much before I start to feel like a failure. (laughs) (laughs) She just laughed. And I was like, you know, there's this fine line between like, oh, I'm inspired, I'm inspired, I'm inspired. Oh, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, you know? And so you have to have like, oh, you know, stay with the inspired part so you can go do your thing before you tip that scale of, You know, that's why like, I think I limit myself to like, I try like 30 seconds on Facebook because I'm definitely one of those people, or Instagram, it doesn't matter. was <laughs> one of those people who, like I see a one-to-one correlation between the amount of time I spend on social media and the amount of time I spend depressed and so absolutely yeah and it's so i need to like i mean it's like so clear to me you know and yeah. so so just how much can you be outwardly focused and be happy like i said i just have lots of questions but i think all of those things factor in yeah
1: and one thing i found really interesting that i kind of see as being an undertone of your response to the success question is again this concept of identity and not only your outward identity but your inward sense of identity yeah and you know not only do you need to have an ability to portray your identity but you need to understand who you are
2: yeah you do and i think it's a really weird world because i mean like one of the things i'm fascinated by but one of my closest friends teaches fashion and we're constantly fascinated she has a way of she's a very succinct way of summing it up about how fashion is this way of like people try to assert their individuality by looking like everyone else Like, and it's a really
0: weird, like, thing that
2: we do. Like, to me, and I think because I've always lived in secondhand clothes because I'm the youngest of three girls. And so, to me, the notion of going to a store and buying the thing that I saw someone else wear is so weird to me, you know? And so that's, I think, part of what makes me an artist is I just, like, can't, I don't get it. But (laughs) But, like, there's that notion we all have but we want to find that individuality and yet we live in a culture that's that's constantly kind of trying to homogenize you know um and and we also as humans have this um draw towards the familiar which i find really challenging like people you know want to say oh you sound like so and so you look like so and so you remind me of so so they want to build that connection but then it immediately takes away that individual identity that you have
1: yeah
2: and then you're then you're fighting against that you know um so, yeah, I think that's really important. I like that you're talking about identity, and I'm going to ramble for a second more, but, like, <laughs> because when I was in, in college um, and in your age, like, you know, that was when identity politics really got huge. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of the second wave of it, but it was all about labels. I mean, if you didn't have your label and your string of 50 labels that you were. And now I think – and that that was – really a challenge, you know, for me, because I'm a fluid person, and I didn't always fit those labels for long periods of time, Mm -hmm. you know, or things shifted, or I learned something about myself, and so now that label was going to change, you know, and who knew that 10 years later would change back, you know, these things, and, um, and so if we can, you know, I think that was a good instinct, because it helped us understand experience, those labels were not about you know these labels we adopted in that time period were about hey this is my experience and i want you to understand that but i think and i see us moving now towards a place where we're able to say actually hey this is my individual experience and part of it's related to this identity or label that other people share but i also have an individual you know story to tell yeah going back to that
1: yeah no fascinating points thank you really um unfortunately that is all the time we have but thank you so much for joining us it was a fascinating talk and to all the listeners out there remember to stay hungry.